What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I have a special guest, Dr. Brianna Stubbs, on the line today, and we are about to get super deep into exogenous ketones. Without further ado, how are you, doctor? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. So for anybody that doesn't know, what's just kind of a, a little bio on you? Uh, right. So I started working in exogenous ketone science about seven years ago now. I actually first came upon it because I was invited to take part in a research study looking at the effects of exogenous ketones in rowers. And I was doing pre-med science at University of Oxford and I was just like this seems like a great idea to like learn a little bit more about physiology and also maybe make like a little bit of uh, beer money just to keep myself going as a, as a little student so I, I did the study and I took this ketone drink and I thought it was really really fantastic effect on my rowing performance and I found it so interesting that I decided I was going, wanted to try and pursue researching it a little bit further and so I managed to do my master's research project on it, moved on and studied with my PhD at the University of Oxford where the ketone ester was developed and tested looking at the effects of ketones in cyclists and, and the different types of ketone supplements and how they affect the body. Um, and while I was doing my PhD research, I also was rowing with the British um, international rowing team. And so I won two gold medals at the World Championships and one silver medal. So I had like a successful athletic career alongside also doing my research. And, and how old are you? I'm 26. All right. So I, I read your bio on Wikipedia before I jumped on the call with you here. So we're the same age, and you've got a PhD in gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist. So I'm a little intimidated right now. Nah, I mean, like you just—I was just busy, and I'm sure if you'd been as busy as I was, you'd have you'd have your PhD as well. <laughs> now that's that's very impressive, though. So, Thank so you. where where's the accent come from? So I was brought up in the UK, um, and I moved to San Francisco, where I am now, six months ago in June. And so now I work with Human. Uh, it's a human performance company, and we've just launched uh, the ketone ester that I studied for my PhD available to the market now. So very it's cool, been very cool. exciting, very exciting. So that's been about 10 years in the making in total? Yeah. So, I mean, it started off um, funded by the military. So the U.S. Uh, military research body called DARPA, they funded Professor Kieran Clark and Dr. Richard Veach, who were at the University of Oxford and the NI. They funded them to the tune of $10 million um, to design a new fuel first to power warfighter performance. So uh, this is for while we were in Iraq still. And so those two investigators, they knew that ketones were a really interesting idea for fueling soldiers because they'd done a lot of the work in Africa animals showing that ketones are really efficient and so um, they used a beating heart model and they measured the amount of oxygen that the heart was using and they measured um, the work the amount of blood that the heart was able to pump and they saw that the heart could pump more blood with the same oxygen um, and so they worked out that ketones from that are a really efficient fuel for like contracting muscle and so they tried and looked at lots and lots of different uh, exogenous ketone ester compounds. They wanted to use an ester because they didn't want to, the mineral load of having salt. So they tried a lot of different ones. And um, the, Kieran, my professor at Oxford, she just likes to show me these pictures of them sitting around a table um, taste testing different ketone shots. And I mean, all of them tasted pretty bitter and pretty awful. Yeah. And the one that they land, landed up on is probably the least bitter and the least awful. Uh, but it's still... It's 
still fairly it will wake you up in the morning if, if someone just gave you that it's it's an interesting taste and so what they work they designed is a ketone ester that has beta-hydroxybutyrate the ketone and it's bound to a ketone precursor called butane diol and so you drink it and your body breaks up the bond between those two things the ester bond and then you can absorb it and so you get one molecule of beta-hydroxybutyrate and then your body your liver really easily converts the ketone precursor into beta-hydroxybutyrate. So if you have this ketone ester, within half an hour, your blood ketone levels are like anywhere between three to five millimoles. Although that said, the other week I took it and um, after half an hour I was at seven millimoles. So it's very um, deep ketosis very quickly. And, and you, you're not on a ketogenic diet, right? So you went to seven millimolars and your baseline was probably less than 0.5 millimolars, right? Yeah, so I um I would definitely say that I followed a lot lower carbohydrate diet than a lot of my athlete friends because I was doing lightweight rowing and so optimizing my body composition was really, really important. And then the more I learned about nutrition through my PhD, um, the more I was kind of moderating my carbohydrate intake around my training to make sure that, you know, really out, outside of um, the long endurance sessions or the high intensity sessions, I wasn't eating a lot of carbohydrate I was definitely um but I wouldn't say I was on a ketogenic diet for sure because I, I really understand how strict that is and and also how much you have to increase your fat intake so when I used to do the experiments on myself um my baseline ketones would be anything between like 0.3 so very, very low and then sometimes I come in um, after an overnight fast and be at 0.7 or 0.8 so I think I was quite metabolically flexible mm -hmm. but yeah and in, in answer to your question I was definitely not on a ketogenic diet and even on so even on me not on a ketogenic diet these ketone supplements um, ester supplements can raise blood ketone levels very quickly and, and very high very 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 cool um, I want to kind of dive into the the science behind what the ester is and, and kind of compare it to the salts because most of the people out there that have heard of exogenous ketones, um, you know, they're familiar with the, the beta-hydroxybutyrate salts um, that are, you know, bound to the minerals, sodium and uh, potassium. And that's kind of what's common out there. And that's kind of at a lower price point than the esters. But yeah. how would you compare? Actually, let's just back it up even farther for people that are not really in the know yet. Uh, so basically when you're in a state of ketosis, your body can produce ketones naturally. Um, the supplements that are out there, exogenous ketones that you're um, consuming to increase your beta-hydroxybutyrate in your blood. So could you compare the, the difference between the exogenous ketones and like the endogenous ketones? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really great question. And I think there's a lot of confusion out there at the moment and, and some misinformation as well. So if you are in a ketogenic state and you're producing your own endogenous ketones, so you're making them yourself, those ketones have come from your fat. So what happens if you follow a ketogenic diet after, after several days, after starting, your fat cells release fat and your liver turns the fat into ketones and then we can measure that either in the blood or in the urine or in the breath, however you, however you measure your ketone levels. But the important point there is the ketones in your blood have come from your own fat stores as whereas 
when I took ketone drinks myself, or if I was to give you one, um, half an hour later, we can measure ketones in your blood. When you're on a ketogenic diet, you're burning fat to produce ketones. But the downside of that is that you can't eat any carbohydrate. Otherwise, you're no longer in ketosis. And so that can make the diet quite difficult for people to adhere to. And also, it can make it difficult for people to do high intensity training or a big volume of training if they're restricting their carbohydrate intake. And so, um, whilst uh, with exogenous ketones, the ketones haven't come from fat, so you're not burning fat to, to make those ketones, you can still have carbohydrates in your diet. And so you can do more high, uh, high intensity or a bigger volume of training uh, and still take on carbohydrates as well as also have some ketones in your blood as well. So you're giving your body all of the different fuel sources to choose from if you take exogenous ketones. But I think um, the very key distinction there is both at the end of the day, the end um, result is the same, that if we pricked your finger, you would have beta-hydroxybutyrate ketones in your blood if you had a ketone drink or if you followed the ketogenic diet. But with the ketogenic diet, those have come from fat. And with the ketone drink, they've come from the drink. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, was there any, I know there's a bunch of science coming out now that kind of like the longer you're in a keto adapted state, the, the more efficient your body becomes at, at using those ketones, the, you know, the metabolic pathways. I'm assuming that if all things were created equal, uh, if you were to give the exogenous ketones to somebody that, that was on a carbohydrate based diet and to somebody that was on a ketogenic based diet for an extended period of time, the person that was keto adapted for the longer period of time would probably be able to tap into it more efficiently. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it's really interesting. So I think um, you'd probably expect that so long as they actually, their body was still making some of its own carbohydrate because um, when, you, when you burn ketones, you need a little bit of carbohydrate present in order to burn the ketones properly. And so um, one of the most recent studies that came out on uh, very keto-adapted athletes by Dr. Jeff Volek, they did muscle biopsies of those keto-adapted athletes and they saw that those keto-adapted athletes still had very reasonable levels of muscle glycogen and glycogen is carbohydrate and so the question was well if these athletes aren't eating very much carbohydrate where is this carbohydrate in their muscle come from and it's uh, probably this process called gluconeogenesis so the body can make new carbohydrate itself and so I know a lot of people uh, on the ketogenic diet worry about eating say too much protein because that can uh, be made into carbohydrate made into glucose by the body but the body is very you know the body always needs some measure of glucose present you never measure your blood sugar and it's never never zero when you measure it there's always some there so um it's a very important thing for our body to be making uh, just to keep us alive uh, but we can also make it from glycerol which is the uh, the backbone of fatty acids mm. uh, <clears throat> so the body's always going to be making some carbohydrate and um and that is necessary for the body, the body to be able to burn ketones. But then if we flip back to um, athletes who aren't normally keto adapted, the process for burning ketones and, is very simple. And so it's not something that would necessarily um, necessarily become massively upregulated over time. So I definitely expect those athletes still to be able to use ketones at a reasonable level. But it'll be interesting. We definitely we haven't done very many or any experiments, in fact, giving exogenous ketones 
to keto adapted athletes at the moment the only work to date has been done giving exogenous ketones to normal diet athletes so it's a really interesting field to see whether you're right and those athletes are like super ketone burners or or whether it's the same i will, I will gladly volunteer myself to be a test subject yeah well i'll keep i'll get in touch when we're looking for people to do <laughs> So, so can you compare kind of uh, the exogenous ketones from like the beta-hydroxybutyrate salts to that of the esters? Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned earlier, the salt means that you've got one part beta-hydroxybutyrate and then the other part of that molecule is a mineral ion. So it's um, either sodium or calcium or potassium, depending on um, which manufacturer you're buying. And so um, that uh, compares to the ester, which, as I said, is beta-hydroxybutyrate bound instead of a mineral ion bound to a beta-hydroxybutyrate precursor so it means for each like one unit of molecules that you're you're taking in you're getting two molecules of beta-hydroxybutyrate with the ester and one molecule of beta-hydroxybutyrate with the salt Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting about ketone supplements that i think some people haven't heard about is there's this property called optical isomerism that beta-hydroxybutyrate has. And so to demystify that for everyone, it's like, okay, everyone hold out your left hand, your right hand, we've got four fingers and a thumb, um, but they don't overlay on one another. You, like, if you put your left hand on top of your right hand, your thumbs stick out either side. Um, but the structure essentially is the same. Mm-hmm. Now, um, ketone, beta-hydroxybutyrate has that same property. So there are two forms of it that exist, but they don't overlay on one another, but they're kind of chemically identical. And so when we do, uh, produce beta-hydroxybutyrate inside our cells, we only produce one form. Our body is really good at only producing uh, the right-handed form of beta-hydroxybutyrate. And all of the enzymes in our body that burn ketones for fuel, they are tuned to only use that right-handed form. But when you do pretty much any reaction on a a bench outside of the body, um, you end up with a 50-50 mix of each. So when they make ketone salts, you end up with a 50-50 mixture uh, of left-handed and right-handed beta hydroxybutyrate uh, as whereas part of the reason that the esters are so expensive is that the ester only has the purified right-handed form the, the form that the body normally produces and that's part of the reason it's been so very expensive up until now because purification um, and making sure that it's only one type of beta hydroxybutyrate is difficult and so when you take a ketone salt drink that's a mixture of the two but the level of the left and the right-handed form go up in your blood. Um, And so when I did my PhD, we looked at um, both levels of both of them in the blood. And that's kind of difficult because you you probably heard of the Precision Extra handheld monitors, right? And then you Mm -hmm. might have used that to measure your blood ketones. Well, that um, uses a method that uses an enzyme to measure beta-hydroxybutyrate. And that enzyme is like the one in our body and only recognizes the right-handed form. So if you read your blood ketone levels after a ketone salt drink, um, and it might say, say, one millimolar, that is actually not telling you how much of the other form, the left-handed form, is in your blood. And so in my experiment, I used the hand monitor to measure D-beta-hydroxybutyrate, so, uh, sorry, uh, the right-handed form, the, the form that the body produces and the form that the monitor could measure. And then I had to send off the blood samples to the chemistry department to do a special analysis to look for this other form. And so what I found in my PhD was that... Um, actually the level total level of ketone in the blood is almost double what you read on the handheld monitor and that's because half of it was this other left-handed form so the total ketone level of someone who measured on the handheld monitor is one they actually were at two 
Mermola because half of it was um, the left-handed form. And then the problem is that left-handed form stays in the blood for a very, very long time. So that kind of confirms um, the, our suspicion that it's not being used as a fuel in the same way that the D, um, the right-handed form was. But we don't really know what it is doing. And then, so I know that Dr. Veach, who helped to develop the ketone ester, uh, he ended up in like not quite an argument, but there was certainly some discussion about he said he thought that the non-natural uh, form was dangerous. And other people said, well, there's no evidence that it's dangerous. Um, they kind of ended up in a little bit of an argument. And I guess where I sit is I don't agree with Dr. Veach that it's dangerous. There's no evidence at the moment to suggest that it's dangerous, but I would say that it's a big unknown. And this is the whole racemic and non-racemic. And so, oh, we were cutting out there again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, is uh, the racemic question, like you said. So the the racemic is both hands, right? Left and right. Yeah, a racemic mixture means that it's a fifty-fifty mixture of uh, left and right-handed ketone. And if it's if it's just staying in the blood, like, do we know how long it's staying in the blood? So I measured it um, after eight hours and after 24 hours. And after eight hours, it was still there. And after 24 hours, it was gone. So, I mean, <laughs> I, uh, somewhere in between eight and 24 hours. Unfortunately, the logistics of actually running an experiment like that, I mean, it would have been great to have people maybe after 12 hours, but it was like a, a lab experiment where I had people come in at eight in the morning and then eight hours after that was at the end of the working day at sort of like four or 5 p.m. And then I didn't want to get people coming back in at like eight, nine p.m. 12 hours after they started because most of the people doing my experiments were were undergraduate students and so they were I not not going to be doing that for, for me very willingly so yeah. they came in back in the back in the next morning but what was kind of interesting is that they come back in after an overnight fast and as you'd expect yeah, I mean, if you read their blood ketone levels they've got like maybe like 0.1 or 0.2 like a very very mild ketosis because they fasted overnight um, and then you look for the L form, the, the non-natural form, and it's completely gone. It's very interesting. It's clearly not being produced at all by the body, that form, but it's hanging around for a little while. So the, and just to clarify, the, the L form is the, the right-handed or the D form is the right-handed? Um, the L, L is left-handed. Okay. And oh. that's the non-natural form. Yeah, L for left. Unfortunately, D and R, uh, yeah. right-handed form. Like that's just a bit confusing. Yeah. So, so the how, how long does the uh, the D form, the natural one, stay in the body for? Well, it depends what you take. Um, so with the ketone ester, uh, it goes up and it peaks between thirty and ninety minutes after having it, and between between three to four, three to five hours after you have one ketone ester drink, it's gone and it's been metabolized by the body. Um, as whereas with the salt, I seem to see that it was a lot a lot slower to peak. The peak was may, maybe, you know, 90 minutes to two hours afterwards, but then the peak was a lot lower and then, you know, maybe it was like a little bit, teeny weeny little bit of ketosis still after three or four hours. But it doesn't look like these drinks, one drink in the morning would keep you in ketosis all day. For both ketone esters and ketone salts, it looks like you would be having, um, if you were only taking those to stay in ketosis and not being on a ketogenic diet, then you'd be taking um, you know, maybe two or three drinks a day to be in ketosis all of the time. But we did an experiment where we also gave the ketone ester with medium chain triglycerides and fasted. And so what we saw there was very um, was different to what we'd seen when we just gave people the ester because instead of going all the way back down to zero, 
people got to about one millimolar. They came, so they went up and maybe were like two or three millimolar after the ester. Then slowly their levels came back down to about one millimolar. And because they'd had it with MCTs and because they carried on fasting, they just stayed at one millimolar for like nine or 10 hours. So that was, that was interesting. I think if you were fasting, um, so some people wonder about whether taking exogenous ketones will like kick them into ketosis faster or whether it will. So one, one interesting uh, question is because taking um, exogenous ketones actually slows down your own production of ketones a little bit is that going to kick you out of ketosis rather than put you into ketosis but it looks like from my experiments that if you are still either fasting or using use or following a ketogenic diet there's going to be a point where the ketone ketones the beta hydroxybutyrate from the drink goes down and then your own production kind of meets it in the middle somewhere and then you can stay and be at ketosis in like a solid state of maybe like one to one and a half millimolar ketosis for a prolonged period of time. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's, there's not really, I mean, maybe there has, but I haven't heard of very many long-term studies of the exogenous ketones. So like, I think a lot of people are, you know, fear that, you know, continuous use of exogenous ketones could, you know, decrease their natural production over time. But it seems as though, you know, as soon as it's, as soon as you take an exogenous ketone and it's in and out metabolized by the body, it just kind of goes right back to normal doesn't seem to have like yeah. a long-term effect yeah i agree i agree with you there i think um i think people like it's fair that people have concerns about long-term use because it's new technology and it's it's not been done before that said um the ketone ester that i worked on is the only ketone supplement out there at the moment that has got generally recognized as safe status by the fda and so that means that we had to put together a dossier of all of the animal work and all of the human work and that people had to do, um, I think it was a week-long feeding study. So, I mean, it's been studied and, and the FDA, US FDA, is pretty confident that it's safe. Um, obviously, we would like to do more long-term studies and, and to really give everyone and ourselves like peace of mind that nothing is changing there. But, I mean... Uh, yeah, I think essentially you're right. When you take an exogenous ketone, you're giving your body ketones as a fuel and then they're being uh, burnt and used up. And in much the same way that if you follow a ketogenic diet, you um, your body, as you said, gets more fat adapted and, and better at using fats and ketones as fuel. There's no reason to expect that actually that wouldn't happen if you keep priming the body with ketones, that they're just going to get better at using them, even if you're on um like a more uh, higher in carbohydrate diet. I kind of liken it a little bit to um, exercise training. So if you're um, doing lots of sprint training, your body gets much better at uh, producing and clearing lactic acid. And so if you're, and if you're going to eat lots of glucose, I mean, like obviously over time you develop diabetes, but um, in the short term, your body gets, you know, better at dealing with, with that and glucose, uh, with glucose. So I think it's similar with ketones i imagine yeah yeah that would make sense um real quick what about uh a lot of people i kind of want to just talk about the exogenous ketones that are generally available to the public and then talk you know more about the ester but like with the exogenous ketones that are the salts right now being really popular um what, what, what is your take on them I mean, I, just firstly, the ketone ester is now available to buy on um, the website of the company that I work for that's called Human. So if people are interested to try it, they can now. Um, I guess, yeah, my take on the salts is that um, they're a little bit uh, disappointing. I think that there, there's not very many, in fact, 
until the um, six months ago, there was no science research really published using these commercially available salt drinks. And so there was a bit of a buzz around ketones because of some of the work that we'd done at Oxford using the ketone ester and uh, the work of like Dom D'Agostino and pe other people who had done work using esters. But there was very... Um, you know, they were making claims around performance and claims around weight loss and health claims and sort of uh, trying to associate ketone salts with a lot of work that was done using ketone esters. And so I think, um, you know, I'm perfectly ready for someone to do a science experiment and show me that the salts work for different things. But to date, that hasn't really happened happened yet so there isn't there's been two published studies now of um, athletes taking ketone salts for performance and both of those studies have shown that there was no extra effect of taking ketone salts and part of the reason I think that that happened is because the ketone levels are very low so in those studies um, taking a ketone salt only raised people's ketone levels to 0.5 0.6 millimolar so it's a lot lower than when in Oxford we were studying ketone esters and athletes and the athletes were anywhere between three to five millimolar so it's orders of magnitude lower and I think that's probably um, a key reason why they didn't see an effect um, so I think, yeah, for me, like just the fact that there was not even any published um, basic, uh, we're going to use the word pharmacokinetic, but what I mean is like you take the drink and then you measure ketone levels over time, how it changes. Um, they hadn't even really published anything about that. And so I did that as part of my PhD. I looked at the ketone ester pharmacokinetics, so BHB levels over time. And then I looked at the same time of the exactly the same amount of BHB in grams in a salt um, and so that was the f and I published that um, about just uh, just before Christmas actually and it's the first paper that shows the differences between the two compounds in terms of actually how high they can raise your ketones and so I think that um, you need to measure your own blood ketone levels and see what effect it's actually having on on you because I've not really seen people get more more than a one millimolar one or one and a bit millimolar increase in ketone levels with ketone salts so I think for some effects that, that might be good enough uh, as whereas if you're looking to take ketones for athletic performance I think that you need to be able to raise ketone levels a little bit higher than than you're able to with a salt that makes sense yeah and I could see like if you're not keto depth you're not following the diet you know and your millimolars are you know rock bottom to begin with and you take a salt, you know, it's going to improve from that baseline, but it's not going to be near as high. Whereas if you were already in ketosis per se, and your, your level was, you know, a baseline of, you know, one or two millimolar, and then you took a salt and it bumped up to three or four. I think that's definitely got more promise. And I know people um, that use, follow a ketogenic diet and use salts to bump themselves up before they go and work out, say. So I think, um, yeah, that, that could work. Um, but I don't know whether it's likely to have the same, quite the same impact on performance. And I don't know whether what your experience has been like with ketone salts. But when I did my PhD experiments, um, when I gave people like very high amounts of the ketone salts, I was really, really trying to use the salts to, to raise blood ketone levels. And um, it really upset some people's stomachs, um, not quite as badly as MCT oil. I've seen really, really bad reactions with yeah. that. But um, <laughs> the salts... Um, it was quite funny, actually, a really funny story. I was, well, sometimes I would run these experiments on other people and do them myself, especially because it was kind of simple, like you drink the drink and then I would be taking blood samples from, from the other participants and I would just read my own blood ketone levels as well. And one time I was running the experiment and I drank um, two times the manufacturer's recommended dose of ketone salt. So I drank 
uh, I think it was like 60 mils of ketone salt, so maybe like 25, 27 grams of beta-hydroxybutyrate. And um, after about half an hour, I started feeling really unwell. And I had all these participants there, and I was trying to trying to keep it together. And I had to, after I'd taken a round of blood samples from everyone, I ended up, had to run to the toilet, and I was, like, it was pretty violent, horrible GI distress. And then, as I was coming out, one of my other participants sort of comes dashing in, and it was, like, this awful kind of um, <laughs> shared experience of um, well, being yeah. new to the it's, uh, <laughs> it's crazy, because, like, since those are, you know, bound to, you know, the minerals, sodium or potassium, you're getting, I mean, some of these, you know, one scoop will have you know, near a thousand milligrams of, you know, sodium or potassium. So mm. that's going to have, you know, if you're taking, you know, multiple scoops throughout the course of a day, that's going to catch up with you pretty quickly, especially if, you know, you're on a ketogenic diet, like a lot of my audience is, and you're already supplementing with sodium and potassium. Exactly. I think that's a really important message. If you're going to, if you're going to, if you're already supplementing with sodium or potassium, then cut that out if you're going to also take salts, because otherwise you're just going to be completely overloading your gut. And I think it's really interesting. I think that part of the reason, part of the reason why the salts don't raise ketone levels as high is because these solutions are very, very concentrated and are likely to be absorbed less well because, because it's so, you know how when you're, uh, you hear people talking about like carb sports drinks, they're going to be like hypertonic or isotonic and Mm -hmm. different, different, uh, osmolarities different concentrations have different effects and even with like a really concentrated carbohydrate drink that can upset people's stomach because it doesn't absorb properly and it sits in the gut and then it upsets your upsets your stomach and so i think something probably kind of similar is happening with the ketone salts where if you've got a very concentrated salty solution in your gut it just sits there and doesn't get absorbed very well and then then causes upset yeah i I agree i agree there's there's so much confusion right now um you know, around the, the efficacy of the salts. And it's it's unfortunate because a lot of these companies have kind of taken advantage of the buzz of keto and they'll make a, you know, a beta-hydroxybutyrate yeah. salt drink with, you know, it'll, it'll advertise as having, you know, the BHB, but it'll be incredibly diluted uh, compared yeah. to what the recommended dose is. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel really sorry for consumers out there because there's like keto, keto couple, uh, supplements that say like keto cookie or keto whatever on it. And they're keto because they are really high in fat, not because they've got beta-hydroxybutyrate in them. And then you've got the exogenous ketone supplements, which are kind of called like keto this, keto that, and they um, they have got ketones in them. But then some of them have got maltodextrin in them and sugar mm-hmm. in them. And some of them also have like, say, caffeine in them. So you might feel like you're getting this great keto buzz, but actually it's because you've had caffeine. Um, so it's... it's um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's an interesting time. There's a massive uptick in interest in in ketones and the keto diet, and also in exogenous ketones. And so it's kind of understandable that people are, are making businesses out of that. Um, but I think that everything needs to be tempered with, like, you know, we've got to work out exactly what what's the best use case for these supplements. Um, that said, I know a lot of people who use them and are very thoughtful about how they use them and, and get good results with them. So, I mean, there's no reason why they, I'm not saying they shouldn't be being sold, but I think we should have more realistic expectations of what they're going to do, let's say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, well, taking it from the salts, let's dive into the ester. Um, that's kind of your your forte here. So I'd love to hear, because um, I've, I've experienced the ester. I had another, I had a, two different dosing. I had a 30 uh, gram dosing and then I had a 60 gram dosing and I think my baseline yeah. was 
I want to say about mm, 0.5 millimolar, and then after the 60 gram dosing, it jumped up to like 4.8, I, I think, within 25, wow. 30 minutes. Yeah, and how did you feel after getting such a big rise in your blood ketone levels? Could you feel anything? Yeah, it was it was weird. I felt a uh, like a warming sensation in my gut, in my stomach. Did you notice that? Well, I think a lot of people who I've given it to have slightly different subjective experiences. So some people feel, um, yesterday I had gave it to someone at a business meeting and he described it himself as having like a buzz and feeling more alert. And personally, when I take it, um, I feel like a sense of kind of, yeah, warming and focus. I feel um, just, it's it's subtle. It's not like caffeine. Um, and some people I give it to don't feel anything. But certainly when you increase your blood ketone levels that quickly, it makes your metabolism change a lot. So all of a sudden your body is able to burn ketones as well as whatever other fuels are present in, in the blood. And so um, it kind of, especially if you're then going to go and work out and do sport, it, it um, has a lot of interesting kind of like downstream effects um, that could help your performance and help your recovery because not only are ketones this fantastic fuel for the body, but they also have a lot of very interesting kind of um, more more like signaling properties, right? So um, some people think that having ketones in the blood helps with longevity and other people um, think that, you know, uh, like you said, having ketones in the blood upregulates your ability to burn fat. And um, some of my own work suggests that having ketones in the blood um, affects how you release gut hormones and how you experience sensations of hunger and so there's lots of um, interesting things that ketones do other than just being a fuel so if you raise um, ketone levels very quickly and and also independently of changing the diet what the ketone ester offers us is this really interesting tool to figure out what is happening because of beta-hydroxybutyrate the ketone and what is happening because of the diet right so um, the, the appetite example is quite a nice example. So people following the ketogenic diet often report feeling less hungry. And that's part of the reason why the diet is successful for weight loss. Um, and so in my PhD, um, I measured people's hunger hormone levels. And I found that even just having a ketone drink changed the release of hunger hormones. So it was more like you've been following a ketogenic diet. So there were similar changes in, in hunger hormones. So uh, they were being downregulated by just having the drink. Um, and so uh, that's, you know, kind of interesting because it's like, ah, so it's the ketones themselves that are causing some of those changes, not just having to, not just following this um, high fat diet and cutting out carbohydrates. So it's interesting. It's a really interesting tool and um, it allows people to, to study metabolism in a whole new way. And like with the athletes as well, you know, we can give athletes uh, Gatorade, basically like a carbohydrate drink, and then also give them a ketone drink and then put them on the bike and they cycle like two to 3% further. It's, um, you know, very uh, obvious change in their endurance performance. And we measure things like their blood lactic acid, which is a marker of how much you're burning carbohydrate anaerobically. Um, and that goes down. And so, I mean, we all know what lactic acid feels like when we run up a set of stairs or we run for a set of bus or a bus or, you know, at the end of a workout, when you start to sort of take it up to sprint to get home, that sort of burn feeling, that's our body producing lactic acid. And so ketones mean that you do that less. So it's something that you can really feel if you work out and you've taken these ketone supplements, exogenous ketone esters. So from a, from a performance standpoint, what kind of implications is that? you know, provide from a endurance, you know, basis versus like a, you know, a shorter term sprint interval, uh, I mean, even bodybuilding type 
uh, program? Like, yeah. What, what's the differences there? That's a great, great question. So I think actually the way that we currently understand it, um, taking ketones, um, I'm going to caveat it with along with carbohydrate because that's how we studied it. But, you know, the mixture of ketones and carbohydrate um, has got a big potential to extend endurance performance. Um, and that's mainly because ketones are acting as a fuel and slowing down the burning of carbohydrate. Um, and so that that carbohydrate is available for later on in the exercise. So if you're going to go and run a marathon or go and cycle your bike for a couple of hours, you take a ketone drink at the start and then you save your carbohydrate stores for later on in that effort. As well as a more um, shorter term sport, you need to um, and you know, you need to do carb burning and glycolysis for that. And so there's unlikely to be an extra benefit of ketones on on the high intensity performance. And we saw that uh, we did an eight minute rowing test and there was uh, no change in performance by adding ketones on. So, I mean, it's important to emphasize here that there wasn't a negative effect. So some people are concerned that taking ketones might actually um take off some of the top end performance but in my experience I haven't I haven't seen that and I actually think that for uh, say like a soccer game or a basketball game where it's like more mixed intensity if you look at like the net effect over a game because really that's periods of high intensity separated by periods of lower uh, more aerobic intensity I actually do think that adding ketones in there might might um be net beneficial for performance but if you're especially if you're say like weightlifted weight training for bodybuilding the energy system that you're using there is um the phosphocreatine system a lot so it's glycolysis carbohydrate burning but also this very fast production of energy via phosphocreatine and ketones aren't gonna improve that at all um, but that said i think all forms of exercise could benefit from adding in ketones post-workout as recovery because we started to unpick this um, to go back to signaling properties of ketones when you have ketones in your blood they act as a signal that says to your body don't break down protein spare the lean muscle mass and they also have um, various anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties that could help you to recover from a workout bout and then also as i said they have this effect on appetite so say you're a bodybuilder you take ketones after your workout you're providing your body with a fuel that's signaling to it to hold on to its lean mass and so we, we've actually seen um also that taking ketones activates protein synthesis i don't know whether you've heard of mTOR before have you heard of mTOR it's a um, targeted rapamycin that's it great yeah ketones activate mTOR in the muscle if you take it after a workout with carbs and protein like in your in a normal kind of recovery shake ketones activate mTOR strongly and so um yeah, it's, it's kind of, this hasn't been formally studied yet, but I think that um, adding ketones into recovery would be um, something that would be broadly beneficial. And um, I think it would have a, like a, a very meaningful effect on so, athletes looking to recover and optimize their body composition. So just to recap, like for an endurance athlete, they take in, if they took, you know, the exogenous ketones before, they would kind of prolong their body tapping into, you know, the food source they had, or like if I guess if they were already keto adapted, they would kind of prolong their body tapping into their stored fat for energy. They'd have that ketone initially, um, yeah. And then for the shorter term training, like the bodybuilding or the sprints, they'd be better off taking it post training as a recovery. Yes, I think that at the moment that's what the evidence suggests. But then that said, I want to encourage people who are using this sort of thing to really. Uh, 
to do their own experimentation because I know some CrossFit athletes who take have taken ketones before and that's quite high intensity and they said they've done PRs and they've said you know they feel a lot better so I mean excuse me I am um, I don't completely disbelieve that it might help those athletes but at the moment the best evidence date is that endurance athletes are going to benefit the most uh, as whereas everyone else is likely to benefit from recovery so I think um but I think the one big thing is the the cognitive kind of uh, the as we were talking about the kind of buzz that you get when you take them and that could really help those athletes who are doing more explosive um stuff to perform at their best in much the same way that caffeine kind of acts to to kind of get you g'd up and get you ready to go so i mean let's wait and see there's still quite a lot of science to be done and um i think people should experiment and see what works best for them is there like a a point of diminishing returns like somebody could just kind of safeguard themselves and have some before training and after training Oh, yeah, I think that that would be fine. I don't see any problems with that at all. But I would like to flag up that definitely with ketone supplements, um, past a certain point, more definitely isn't better. So if you um, if you completely fasted and you didn't eat anything, you weren't on a ketogenic diet, just straight up fasting for a very long time, your body reaches a plateau of ketone levels. So uh, back in the 1950s, when it was ethical to just starve people you would never get an IRB to agree to this nowadays but back back in the day you could take people who are obese and just not feed them for 50 60 days and you see that with those people their ketone levels plateau anywhere between six and eight millimoles so this is um this means that most of us naturally won't be going into ketoacidosis very easily because our body has like a, a natural feedback mechanism that stops that from happening but that kind of that really kicks in and stops us producing more ketones between six and eight millimoles. And if you start going higher than that, then um, our body can um, buffer it and deal with it up to a certain point, but then you go in, you do go into ketoacidosis. So I think if you were to try and, if because the ketone ester is so um, powerful, if you were to take maybe five or six, then you might raise your blood ketone levels very high and you would be um, in an acidotic state that said, it wouldn't be as dangerous as for a diabetic because you're not producing those ketones. So after time, in a, in a short enough time, you're going to just burn through them. But you would it certainly wouldn't be benefiting your performance if you start getting your ketone levels very high. And so the levels that we've studied and that we believe are most effective as is are, as I said, between three to five. I think if you start going over seven or eight millimoles of ketones, you're not going to get any extra benefit with performance. So I don't think, um, I think there is a diminishing returns for drinking lots of exogenous ketones, let's say. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. Um, yeah. this, this is totally just out of curiosity, but how do you make a ketone ester? Like, I, I'm just trying to envision it, and the chemistry is not my forte. So, like, what's what's the process look like? So um, you need the precursors and they have to be kind of pure and the, the um, beta hydroxybutyrate uh, and the butane diol, they're produced by a fermentation process. Um, so it's like a natural, we're working on a new technique with a new supplier to genetically modify bacteria so that they can produce it for us. Um, and then you join the two parts together with a reaction called a lipase reaction. And so um, it's quite, that's actually quite simple. Um, it's, it's a, uh, 
I don't know what it looks like now. It's at scale because we were only ever making it in small batches at the University of Oxford and at the NIH. So uh, I, I would love to go and visit the factory where they're making it now and see what it actually looks like, <laughs> whether it's in like a big vat or something like that. I, I don't know. I can't describe it, what it looks like now. So there's, there's not like a, like a pressure or anything like that you have to apply to it. You just simply mix the beta-hydroxybutyrate and then the yeah. precursor? Yeah, it's not, it's not a difficult reaction in terms of temperature and pressure. It's a, an, an enzymatic reaction that takes place at like relatively uh, low conditions of temperature and pressure. How do you strip the beta hydroxy? Like, where do you like? If, what does the raw form of beta hydroxybutyrate look like? Oh wow! Uh, I couldn't tell you. I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make stuff up. This is like definitely not my area of expertise. I would be given it, and then I would study it. But um, I'll go away and look it up, and then I can. I can get back to you. Yeah, I'm just curious. Like, I, I I envision you know, like shooting particles through a super tight tube with pressure, and I don't know. I guess it's nothing like that, though. No, no. I think it's probably a lot. It's, all these things are always a lot less glamorous and a lot less uh, difficult than you think. But I'll look it up. Uh, I'll drop you an email, and we can link to it at the end in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I'm curious. Um, <laughs> so we pretty much covered all the bases there with regard to uh, you know the esters versus the salts. Where do you see this going, like, long-term? Because, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, really hot right now, but do you see, like, the, the, the military kind of getting more involved and performance athletes? Like, what, what's, what do you think the next 10 years looks like? Uh, well, I'm really, really excited um, with how it's gone, having launched the Keto Nestor in the last six months. So since, we, since it became available to buy, I've been speaking to Grand Tour professional cycling teams. I've been speaking to... NFL teams and also speaking to the military and special operations as well. So I hope that, um, you know, we can work with those guys to work out what the best use cases is for them. Um, I can really see, I think for me, like the ultimate, the vision is uh, the FDA is just changing their food guidelines now, right now. And at the moment, most people eat, normal people, obviously not people on a ketogenic diet, eating 200 to 300 grams of sugar a day. Um, and they're suggesting that we bring that down to 50. And so I think where I could see this going is that we are able to, with this ketone ester as like a readily available way for people to ingest ketones, that we could replace some of the calories that people are consuming with sugar with calories from ketones and really have this whole fourth food group, this whole new macronutrient, as it were, that even people who aren't following the diet can implement into their lifestyles and and get some of the benefits of having ketones in their blood. Um, you know, I, I definitely I'm on in the camp of we all eat too much carbohydrate and refined sugar, and so I think that these things are definitely going to be bad. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's um, appropriate. Yeah. So what what uh, um what about like uh, from you know cognitive enhancements um we can touch on a little bit earlier but like what happens in the brain you know if you're ingesting one of these ketone esters um like what what happens uh from a cognition standpoint so we know um that like the evolutionary purpose of ketones is to be a fuel for the brain and ketones other than glucose they're the only other fuel that the brain can really use to to produce energy um all of us even if we're not on a ketogenic diet can take ketones up across the blood-brain barrier into the brain and everyone's brain has the capacity to burn ketones and so I think people kind of get into into an interesting argument about whether um, ketones or glucose are the brain's preferred fuel. Um, I guess my answer to that would be that 
there's very rarely enough ketones to entirely replace glucose. So it's not really like a case of preference per se. Like that kind of, that almost gives the brain like an emotion. It's like, oh, I'm going to pick and choose which I use. It's like if both are present, they use the the brain uses it in the um, in the relative amount that it's present. So the more ketones that you have in your blood, the more ketones that the brain will use. And as ketones go down, the brain just replaces it using glucose. Um, to go back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier about how efficient ketones are, that certainly makes it a very interesting kind of fuel for the brain. And then also the various um, anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties of burning ketones that I mentioned earlier, that is meant to be part of the reason that ketogenic diets and ketosis works for um, various neurodegenerative diseases. So there's a lot of promise in ketogenic diets for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease um, and any diseases where the brain gets less good at burning glucose. So with actually with Alzheimer's disease, people do um, special glucose metabolism imaging sort of like even five ten years before people get any symptoms of dementia and they can see that the brain's less good at burning glucose so um replacing the brain's energy there with with ketones um could be could be really beneficial um I was going yeah so i think um in terms of like cognitive performance for normal people i'm really optimistic that there'll be an effect because uh we did some work in animals and uh, we saw that the animals were able to solve mazes faster after having had the ketone. And then we've done some preliminary work in humans. And it looks like some aspects of cognitive performance are likely to be boosted by having ketones. But I think I'm going to be put my very conservative hat on here and say measuring cognition in humans is really, really, really difficult because it depends on our mood. It depends on how much sleep we've had. There's a big learning effect when you do these experiments and there's just a lot of noise. So it's a lot harder to test cognition in humans than it is in animals. So maybe, um, maybe there won't be a clear effect. Um, and maybe people will just feel subjectively better and use ketones for cognition there. Um, personally, I'm kind of interested in using like stressors, like maybe fatigue or maybe things like hypothesis things where um, the brain is like under a bit of pressure because if you put stress on a system then that teases out um, differences so maybe if we used a model like that we'd be able to see a difference in cognition with ketones very interesting yeah like uh, I've, I've told all my audience you know like I would stay on the ketogenic diet if it wasn't for the performance benefits solely for the mental uh, benefits so yeah. I'm very curious to see you know how, as research comes out kind of how the exogenous ketones plays a role there yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting, right? So if a lot of people get um, improved cognition with the ketogenic diet, partly because they're having less sugar highs and lows. And so the the brain fog that people experience is more a cause caused by like sugar and carbohydrate than it is, you know, necessarily by ketones, maybe. I, we, we don't know at this stage. So um, as I said about the ester drinks being this really interesting tool, we can work out what is caused by diet and what is caused by ketones using using these supplements so like yeah watch the space and we'll see where it goes yeah yeah for sure what about like from um you touched on like dementia and everything what about like the cancer research that's coming out now yeah i mean that's certainly really really interesting and we've got a collaborator running some cancer studies um back in europe and he the, the investigator there, um, he hasn't showed me the data yet, but he described it as the most beautiful data he's ever seen. So I'm really excited to see those results. And I think there's a lot of promise in that area. But 
I guess like with my, again, kind of like cynical hat on, it might be a while until we can translate this into humans, not because we don't want to, just because of the um, ethical approval and the safety concerns around taking work and translating it straight from animals to humans. But, but if exogenous ketones are available for people to buy on the market, then people who want to get ahead of the curve can buy and try it themselves. And it certainly makes mechanistic sense that, um, because a lot, not all cancers, but a lot of cancers become very rigidly fixed on burning glucose, that lowering your carbohydrate intake and then maybe also boosting your ketone levels with exogenous ketones could like metabolically compromise the cancer cells a little bit, let's say, and, and, and help alongside whatever other treatment that you're on. I mean, I don't think even the investigators who um, are studying this right now would say, don't take any other medication, just yeah. use like a ketogenic diet. Like they use um, hyperbaric oxygen as well. So it's like metabolic therapies, but I think they're looking to sensitize the cancer to treatment and make it more vulnerable. So I think um, it's going to be an interesting add-on to current care that might make it more successful. And it makes sense from a mechanistic standpoint because ketones uh, inhibit glucose metabolism. So they might starve out the tumor cells. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Um, has there been any studies that you're aware of, of like, you know, not obviously in humans, but in animals, like, a, for instance, take a, you know, control group of, of mice and, and let them, you know, live through their lifespan and then take another group with ketones. Does, does that do anything to the, the lifespan of an animal? No. So actually, um, there's a research institution very near San Francisco called the Buck Institute for Aging, and they recently published a study looking at cyclical ketogenic diet um, and ketogenic diet versus normal diet and lifespan. And they um, found that with the diet, with the cyclical diet um, and the normal diet, what was happening was that the fewer mice were dying in middle age, like that the total lifespan wasn't increased, but more of them were surviving and being healthy in middle age. Um, so they've done that using the diet. And I would be, I'm really hoping that I get a chance to work with them in the future and add in ketone supplements there um, instead of diet. So I think that work hasn't been done, but given the promise with the ketogenic diet i think that there's uh, certainly like a question that that could have a positive answer and it's interesting interesting to go and answer but as far as i'm aware it hasn't been done yet but mechanistically all of the evidence is there so we need to go and test the hypothesis yeah yeah i mean it's it's, it's interesting that a larger group of life or of mice survive through you know their, their entire lifespan um i mean shoot it at least points the finger that would indicate you know being in a ketogenic state whether through dietary or supplemental means is going to improve the quality of your life? Yeah, well, I think um, a lot of people out there think that the ketogenic diet is dangerous. And so this at least flies in the face of that. I mean, I think I think that a well-formulated ketogenic diet certainly isn't dangerous for anyone. Um you know, I think that that's, I think that that's kind of ridiculous. But then that said, every person is a little bit different. And you do see people that go on the ketogenic diet, and a lot of their markers go the wrong way. So I think um, what we advocate here at the company I work for at human is that everyone is, is kind of like owns their own biomarkers. So you need to be thoughtful and measure measure your ketone levels say and measure maybe your cholesterol levels and your triglyceride levels and at the end of the day if the ketogenic diet isn't working for you and you try and make changes and you get some advice and you've tried different things and it still isn't working for you then 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 it, you should change because everyone's metabolism is a little bit different but there are a big bulk of people it works really well for and it's safe for for people generally i think yeah yeah i agree very misunderstood 
I totally agree. I, I looked at the website, uh, Human. It, it's it's spelled H V M N, right? Yes, it's uh, edgy and and Silicon Valley and cool. <laughs> okay, okay, very cool, very cool. So what <laughs> no. uh, what uh, what other? I mean, I, I I just pull up y'all's website briefly, but you'll have like all kinds of cool things like nootropics and other biohacking gear and all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So basically, I kind of like the story of the company and it was part of the reason why I decided to join. So the two guys who founded the company uh, were computer scientists and they were really interested in like optimizing their bodies and being being the best forms of themselves that they could be. And they were reading and interested about nootropics. And it seemed at the time when they founded the company two or three years ago, um, nootropics were still kind of like a little bit underground. There weren't very many companies selling these supplements. Um, and so a lot of people were buying things and making them up um, at home. And like the quality of the ingredients was all a little bit dubious. You know, you'd buy it in from China and then mix it in on your own little home scales. And it was a bit of a hobbyist industry, let's just say, um, taking nootropics. And so they decided they wanted a company where um, – all of the uh, C of A like certificate of analysis were public. All of the products were, I said, so the unique things about human and what they decided that they wanted from their company was that they were going to publish all of the certificates of analysis. So the ingredients were always going to be um, tested and there for people to see. Then they were only going to use doses that had been studied in humans and shown to work. And they were only going to use things that had been approved by the FDA because actually some nootropics companies out there sell things that are pretty much prescription drugs and have quite um, dubious side effect profiles if you take them wrong or if if you've got certain other conditions. So, you, you know, there's. Things, some things that are kind of strong and can have quite profound effects, on, uh, you know, and, and for some people, not good effects. So the nootropics that are sold by the company are quite, um, compared with other things that are now available on the market, they're kind of maybe, you know, like inverted commas, softer, but certainly things that have been shown to, uh, to have effects in humans and, and work. And so it's a really good way for people who are looking to take something that's safe to optimize their brain health and brain performance uh, to do that. And then one of the other products... Um, so it's like nootropics and then a natural sleep aid, um, like caffeine and L-theanine combinations that are great for athletes or people that want uh, like an extra kind of like boost for physical or cognitive performance. And then also a um, fish oil, omega-3, vitamin D, vitamin K supplement. And I think of, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of us. Uh, athletes and a lot of scientists as well and often people will say if there's one thing they're going to supplement for it will be say omega-3 or vitamin d those are two like very popular supplements that people take mainly because um our diets are quite deficient in omega-3 although that said um if you're on a ketogenic diet and eating high fat you're possibly getting a little bit more of those omega-3 fats um but then vitamin d because we're all inside doing desk jobs now we um don't get don't get enough of it especially in the northern hemisphere uh so I think uh, all of the supplements that we offer are kind of geared towards uh, making you more healthy, making you more productive. And now with the ketone product as well, um, you know, especially marketed in towards athletes, but useful for anyone who's interested in their metabolic health um, and you know, like optimizing their metabolism, let's say. Yeah, no, that's very You said they're all FDA approved? Uh, so it's very interesting, right? So there's a difference between being FDA approved and FDA grass. But yeah, there's nothing on there that's on the FDA um, prohibited list, let's just say. So for example, with the ketone ester, people say, um, some people chuck around the word WADA approved, but actually WADA don't approve anything. They just don't prohibit things. So it's WADA compliant 
But WADA don't, WADA get annoyed when you say that it's WADA approved because WADA don't approve anything. So I think it's the same with the FDA. There's nothing in, in the human products that are um, banned or considered like uh, dubious at all by the FDA. They're all, you know, in line with FDA um, requirements. Um, and also, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's probably the most important thing to underline there. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's crazy. Some of the supplements out there, they're just, like you were saying, I mean, they're not approved, they're not regulated, they're just, and a lot of it's just filler content. Exactly, uh, yeah. I think um, it's very difficult to cut through the marketing um, and find a company that you trust and something that works for you. So, um, you know, humans are a great place to start, and we've had a lot of positive feedback from our customers. And actually, yesterday, uh, we just announced a huge price drop on some of the nootropics, so um, it all of a sudden got a lot more accessible for people. So we're excited to see where, where that, that goes. Very cool, very cool. And, and what, on the, the exogenous ketones, the, the esters, what are y'all uh, dosing those at? Like, what, like if somebody wanted to get an ester, what, what do they do? Or what do they yeah. get them? So um, we're selling them uh, in, like, multi-packs. So you can buy a three-pack, six-pack, 12-pack, uh, or 36-pack. And each pack, or each bottle, is um, 65 mils total. And of that, 25 mils is ketone ester. And so... From normal sized person, as I said, one one twenty five mil serving will get blood ketone levels to uh, between three to five millimole. So um, if you're a bigger person, you might want to drink one and a half bottles, say. Um, and if you're a smaller person, you might get away with slightly less. But in order to make it easy for people to use and for people to take out and about with them, we went for a single a single serving size. What else is is in there with it? Uh, it's diluted with water and some natural sweeteners. Like I think it's erythritol. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Y'all have to get me some. Yeah, well, give I mean, keep shot. an eye out. We're we're just uh, yeah, we're just waiting for our delivery now. So it should be going out uh, within the next uh, six to eight weeks. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, well, what, what can anybody else? I mean, I can sit and talk with you all day and go into more science, but I don't take up all your time. Um, where can people go to find out more about you? Um, so I'm on Twitter. I'm at Brianna Stubbs. People can follow the company at HVMN on Twitter as well or go to the human website, um, hvmn.com. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I post quite regularly on Twitter and the company shares things that are kind of interesting, relevant to, to people who are trying to follow a ketogenic diet. We have um, a, gr- a metabolic health group that's called um, the HVMN. What's it called? Uh, it used to be called WeFast. I feel like the name might have just changed, but um, you can get to that through our company page. So if people are interested in being part of the community and sharing biohacking ideas or keto dieting ideas or fasting ideas, people can come and join us there. But uh, if you want to reach me personally, I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter, so that's probably the best way to probably the best way to get in touch and keep up to date. Very cool, very cool. And I'll link all those in the description too, so people can Perfect. access them pretty easily. Um, Great. Well, Doctor Stubbs, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've I've learned a ton. Well, I mean, we'll have to do it again sometime. Maybe like when some more exciting results come out, I can come and we can chat about it a little bit more and and keep kind of the education going out. I just, yeah, I think it's just really important that people, um, we keep having these kind of discussion because there's so much misinformation out there. And uh, like we were kind of talking about like some very very aggressive marketing claims on exogenous ketones and uh, a lot of there's, nowadays, you can just go and you can type into Google and you'll get 20 sites and they all say slightly different things. And diet is just this massively like emotive topic for people. So if you go on Facebook or Twitter, people end up getting very upset with one another. And it's just like, 
it's a it's kind of exhausting field to be part of but i think uh, just because it's exhausting doesn't mean we shouldn't be having the conversations and just keep trying to like drip feed good information out there and uh, invite people to kind of carry on the discussion i agree as long i mean if you're basing everything if you're basing your marketing off of tried and true you know science and performance results like i mean that, that'll that'll rise to the top you know that'll cut yeah. through all the crap no, I agree. But I mean, like that said, um, you know, even if you get positive performance results, some the very the skeptics can say, well, that was only the one thing that's kind of frustrated me a little bit is people say, oh, well, you know, they ran that study at Oxford and that professor, she owns the intellectual property. So she's got a conflict of interest. And it's like, well, yeah, at the time we were the only ones that had access to it. And the study, you know, like we've had the study peer reviewed. We designed the study ethically. We run, you know, you run the study as as well as you can. And then you people can still um, throw, find ways to throw mud at you. So um, at the end of the day, we all just want to see the field kind of advance. So I'm looking forward to the ketone acid being available and other people being able to do tests and for us to continue building up our knowledge of what it does. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm perfectly ready to learn new things from new studies that come out. Um, but the studies need to be done and some of them will be done by people that, that have got like kind of not conflicts of interest, but you know, have worked on it up until now because we're the experts. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, people are always going to try and run on your parade. You know, you just, I mean, you've got the right intentions and you're just trying to find the, the right answers. So, I mean, just do you, you know? Yeah. Keep doing my best. I mean, I hope, like I said on this podcast, like there are some things where we don't have any evidence yet and I always try and be upfront about what speculation and what we, what we have evidence for. So, um, I think people should use that as like a bit of a litmus test. Like, can they find any evidence, like real evidence for what people are saying or not? Kind of yeah. from that. Well, I'm, I'm very curious to see, you know, as research comes out with regard to the ester in, you know, keto ad- adapted athletes that have been adapted for, you know, extended period of time, like a year or more versus, you know, a carb based diet in, in other athletes. Yeah, no, let's, let's watch this space. I think, um, it could be it could be great it could be work, work way better for these for keto athletes but we have to see we'll have to see for sure well dr stubbs until next time it's been a pleasure yeah. and uh, we'll talk soon again for sure speak to you soon have a great day you as well take care